What's up, guys? Welcome back to the Glory UGA Podcast. I'm Tyler, and here with me on the other end of the line, as usual, is my co-host, Curtis. And, uh, guys, you know it. It's that time of year again, as all of the bigger bowl games are finally upon us. It's been a couple of weeks since we've seen some big-time football, but those times are back again. Uh, Curtis and I, we're recording this on Friday the 28th, which means tomorrow is the day the two playoffs, I mean, final games are going to be played. And I don't know about you guys out there, and Kurt, I don't know about you either, man, but I'm not sure I'm going to be able to watch those games. I'm still not sure. Are you with me there, Kurt? Are, are, do you have any, like, leftover hangover feelings from that SEC title game? Yeah, I mean, it's one of those where I, it really doesn't matter to me who wins at this point. I'm just, I'm still heartbroken. I don't know if my heart will ever be put back together again, as lame as that sounds, but, like, when you come that close, man, like, honestly, it was weird because I was going into the SEC title game pretty much expecting to lose and, like, being, okay, hey, if we if we lose, it's all right. We're, st- we're still going to go to the Sugar Bowl. New Orleans would be a great time. I was I was prepared for that. But then you get that close and you feel, like, right there in your grasp and it just slips away and then everything kind of goes out the window. And it's just uh, – it still sucks. I've still not quite recovered from that SEC title game. And uh, I know a lot of you guys, I'm sure, of the holidays here have been watching all those little bowl games the past couple of days. And, and during those games, if you have been watching them, you guys know, I mean, they obviously advertise for the playoff games relentlessly. Have you noticed that, Kurt? Always. Like, relentlessly. Uh, and every time one of those little playoff graphics pops up on the screen, all of those like miserable emotions of despair that I, that I was hopeful would be I, I would have been, been able to get, a, get out of my system a couple of weeks ago they all just come coursing through every vein of my body all over again, and my blood pressure goes through the roof, and it's just not healthy. So I don't know, man. I'm sure I'll end up watching them, but I'll be miserable the entire time. My heart will break all over again because I feel I still feel like we should be in it. Now, we screwed ourselves over. We did it to ourselves, but it still sucks because I still feel like we're one of the four best teams and uh, just did not quite get the job done. Honestly, I, I was talking to my wife about this the other day. Kurt, tell me, like, I, I might be completely off base. I think one of the reasons I'm so frustrated about this is, number one, like, we haven't won a national title since 1980, you know? Like, it's been so long. And, like, if we would have won one in the past decade, like, it, maybe it wouldn't, it, I'm sure it wouldn't have hurt as bad in the SEC title game, but it's been so long. And I firmly believe, like, if we would have gotten into the playoffs, I really feel like we would have won the whole thing. I really do. I, I feel like we would I'm most likely would have played Notre, played Notre Dame in the Cotton Bowl. I feel like we would have rolled them. And then maybe Bama gets in, maybe Bama doesn't. If Bama doesn't get in, maybe Ohio State slips in. I think Clemson probably beats Ohio State, and then I think we beat Clemson. Uh, so that would have been one right there, potentially. And then last year, we all know how that ended. I mean, I'm just – I guess it's like I feel like we kind of let two – a potential two national titles back-to-back kind of just slip through our fingers here and just to see us not have a chance this year. It just uh, – it sucks, and I know everyone wants to say, "Hey, you know, it's just, it's just the beginning. You know, we'll get our chance. We'll have we'll have our turn. We'll get one before long." And it's like, yeah, I I believe that I do, but that's no guarantee, is it? No, it doesn't make it hurt any less. Yeah, I mean, like it's it's good to feel like, hey, yeah, we're gonna have a chance next couple of years. We're, we're recruiting lights out. I mean, this thing is just getting rolling, and that's probably true. But you can't guarantee that. I mean, think back to the beginning of the Mark Rick era. You know, like two thousand two, two thousand three. Everyone was saying the same things back then. It was just a matter of time until Mark Rick won a national title, and then that never happened. So, like, when you get so close and you just let these opportunities slip through your fingers, it just hurts because you can't get them back. You can't get them back. Anyway, I don't want to make everyone miserable, so let's just go ahead and move on. Uh, 
we are going to, obviously, we have a bowl game. It's still a big bowl game, not as big as we wanted it to be, but the Sugar Bowl is still a big-time New Year's Six bowl game. And uh, we are going to have you guys covered with everything about the Sugar Bowl here in just a few minutes. But I do want to first just remind everyone out there that if you uh, are not subscribed to us on Podbean to get access to all of our premium content, you can go ahead and sign up today. It's only $2 a month. You get a free week trial to try it out. Uh, you can sign up by going to uh, Podbean, searching for Glory UGA. There's a little little yellow button there on our Podbean page. Or if you're on Twitter, you can just go to our Twitter profile. That's at Glory underscore UGA. Uh, there's a little uh, profile link there. You click on that link. It'll take you straight to our Podbean page. Again, there's a little yellow Buy Now button. If you're on a PC, if you're on a mobile device, you scroll down the bottom, that same little yellow Buy Now button. Be down there. You just click on that button, type in your information, and within a minute or two, boom, you are good to go. You have access to all of our content. And just because the football season is over does not mean that we are uh, we're closing our doors. We uh, are a full year-long podcast. We cover obviously we cover football year-long. We'll have your your weekly football fix, but we also cover basketball, baseball, even some Georgia tennis recruiting, definitely all that stuff throughout the entire year. So if you still want. Some good hardcore Georgia football, Georgia athletics content. Go ahead and subscribe to us on Pod. Get access to all of our premium content all year long. But uh, with that out of the way, let's go ahead and get into the Sugar Bowl preview, Kurt. Now, bowl games are very different circumstances. You got star players not playing these days, especially if, or if you're heading to the NFL and you, and you think you're going to be a high draft pick. They're just not playing. Uh, we're kind of feeling that right now with DeAndre Baker initially saying he was going to play and then backing off that and saying, no, now I'm not going to play. Um, and then, you, of course, you always have some teams being more motivated than others. So, Bowl games, it's just a weird season. It's not just like you say, okay, we're going to line up two teams, and who's the better team? They're definitely going to win. That's just not how bowl games typically play out. So, Kurt, the first question I want to ask you before we get too far into this is kind of just a weird question, but pretty simple. If this game was played in, let's say, I don't know, early November, maybe the week that we played Kentucky, how would you handicap this game? Um, if, if we played at that time, I'd probably give us a two-touchdown win. Yeah, I'd say that we win, I don't want to say going away, but comfortably, right? Yeah. Like, I, I honestly, I, if you look at the two teams, I'm going to go through the numbers here to kind of uh, spell it out for you. But if you look at these two teams on paper, and if you've actually watched them, guys, I've watched Texas quite a bit this year. I didn't know that we were going to end up playing Texas, but I've watched them, you know, uh, throughout the season. I watched them, obviously, both Oklahoma games, the Oklahoma State game. I watched a little bit of the Kansas game, watched the TCU game. And, of course, I've gone back and rewatched a lot of those the past couple weeks getting prepared for this game. And honestly, if you look at both teams throughout the year, like it's no contest. We are the better football team in, in almost every facet of the game. Like It's really not a contest. We are the better football team. But as I said, if you guys have watched bowl games throughout the years, which I know you have, that doesn't always matter. The best team throughout the year doesn't always end up winning these bowl games because it's just a different animal in terms of motivation. Now with star players sitting out, it's just a different deal. So yeah, I think we are the better team. I'm with you. But I don't know if that means that we're necessarily going to just roll our hats out there and win this football game. But uh, let's go ahead and get into some numbers. I'm gonna, Normally, I'll, I start with the offense, then we talk about the offense, and we'll go to the defense numbers. I'm just going to read you the numbers top to bottom, offense through defense, just going to spell out why I think that we are clearly the better football team in this game. So we're going to start with offense. Um, Texas is 54th nationally in total offense, averaging 416 yards a game. They're 41st nationally in offensive efficiency. We are uh, 34th nationally in defensive efficiency. So uh, it's pretty, it's pretty not, not, nothing too 
crazy there, but a, a little bit of an advantage there for us in terms of our defense efficiency versus their offensive efficiency. They're 74th nationally in yards per play, only averaging 5.5 yards per play, which is not great. Uh, they're 94th nationally in rushing offense. They do not run the ball particularly well, uh, averaging 151 yards a game. They're 104th nationally in yards per rush. That's terrible. I mean, 3.7 yards per rush, that is not good uh, That is not good football. That's not good offensive football at all. Uh, now, they are 33rd nationally in pass yards per game at 264 yards a game, 48th in yards per pass. They do have some uh, big play options on the outside. We'll get to those guys in a mini here. They average 7.7 yards per pass. Uh, they're 34th in pass attempts per game. Uh, offensive sack rate, they're 47th in the nation. Uh, we are now. This is an advantage for them. Like they, they protect the quarterback fairly well. Forty seventh nationally. We, as you guys all know, do not get after the quarterback well at all. We're eighty second nationally in defensive sack rate. Uh, they run sixty six plays a game, which is seventy fourth nationally. Uh, they're eighteenth nationally in third down percentage. That's one area where they really are good offensively. Is in third down conversions, converting forty six percent of their third downs. But on the flip side. We are 19th nationally in defensive third down uh, conversions. Only giving up, I guess, defensive third or third down defense. I guess how you'd say that. We're only allowing 32 percent of uh, third down conversions uh, for our opponents. They're 45th nationally in red zone touchdown percentage. They're scoring touchdowns 65 percent of the time. They're in the red zone. We are 34th nationally in red zone deep red zone touchdown defense. Only giving up touchdowns 54 percent of the time. Our opponents in the red zone. Uh, offensively, they, they've gone under 400 total yards five out of the 13 games they've played this year. Now, another area they are pretty good offensively is turnovers. They do not turn the ball over very much at all. They're six nationally uh, in terms of protecting the football. They've only turned it over 11 times on the year, and we haven't done a great job forcing turnovers this year defensively. We've only forced 12 turnovers on the year, so that's an area that they might have a slight edge there. So, Kurt, look at that offense, those numbers. What does that tell you about this Texas offense? Um, to me, I think one of the biggest things is I think they're very methodical in what they do. Um, they're not a huge big play type team. Um, especially in the run game. Yeah, especially in the run game. I think more than anything, they try to move the ball down the field and uh, you know, very controlled passing attack, things like that. Yeah. High percentage. Yeah, I mean, especially in the run game. I mean, look, you go back to what I read. They're, they're only running the ball, rushing for 151 yards a game. That's 94th nationally. And only 3.7 yards a carry, which is terrible. And that's 104th nationally. But then you look at their third down conversion percentage. They're 18th nationally. They're in the top 20 in converting third downs offensively. They're converting, converting 46% of the third downs. So what that tells me is exactly what you said. It's methodical, right? Where they want to get three, four yards a pop. They don't get a ton. They don't hit big plays on the ground. But they get enough to put themselves in third and short, stay ahead of the chains, and be able to convert those third and short situations. That's typically what you're seeing from this from this uh, offense here that Texas has. And not overly explosive, but at times effect. I mean, they're, for, they're 41st in offensive efficiency, which is pretty solid. So a decent offense, a fairly efficient offense, but certainly not an explosive offense, uh, particularly on the ground. Uh, throwing the football, they do have some big play options. We'll get to them in a minute. But on the ground, it has been very, very, very methodical, as you said there. Now, defensively, it's kind of a similar story. They're pretty good defensively. They're okay. I mean, they're 68th nationally in total defense, giving up just a hair over 400 yards a game. They're 58th nationally in defensive efficiency. This is where we have a pretty significant advantage. While they are 58th nationally in de-efficiency, we are third nationally, only behind Alabama and Oklahoma, in offensive efficiency. 
they are 66th in the nation in yards per play allowed, giving up 5.6 yards per play. They're, now, they're pretty good against the run, which is obviously something that will help them match up against us because we all know that we want to run the football first and foremost. They're 35th nationally in total rush defense, giving up only 135 yards a game on the ground. Now, Kurt, do you think that's maybe uh, by virtue of the fact that they play in the Big 12 and there's not a ton of teams that run the ball at you? I really do because if you look, yeah, if you look around, uh, there's not much – not many teams in the Big 12 run the ball. I mean, you have Iowa State and Kansas State who are pretty run-heavy. Uh, Oklahoma, they ru- they rush the ball effectively, but I wouldn't call them a run-first team, would you? No. I mean, they're explosive on the football. That's also because they, they, they package that with a bunch of RPOs, and their offense is just high-flying. Uh, they do a lot of different things. They, you know, they, they spread you out. They get you out where you have to defend their playmakers in space. Guys like Hollywood Brown, you, gotta get, you have to get out and defend them. And then they have numbers advantage in the box, and they just gash you. Once they get those advantages in the box, so it's just a really tough offense to defend. But not, not they don't really they don't run the ball like we do. They're not built to rush uh, the ball and attack a defense in the same way that we are built to attack a defense with our run game. But Texas, regardless, still does a pretty good job against the run. Thirty fifth nationally in, in rush defense, forty second nationally in uh, yards per rush, only giving up three point nine yards per carry. Now. Against the pass, though, they are awful. I mean, they are terrible. They're 115th nationally in pass defense, giving up 265 yards a game. Again, maybe that's because they play in the Big 12. You got a lot of air raid type offenses that spread the ball out and, and throw it all over the field. That's certainly a factor there. Uh, they're 78th nationally in yards per pass allowed, giving up 7.5 yards per pass. Um, they're also they're just about as inept as us in getting after the passer. They are 91st nationally in defensive sack rate, uh, and we are 45th nationally in uh, protecting the quarterback in terms of offensive sack rate or sacks allowed. So that should be a little bit of an advantage for us there. Uh, They are, as good as they are converting third downs offensively, they are pretty much just as bad defensively. They are 109th nationally in third down defense, allowing opponents to convert 45% of their third down opportunities. Uh, and this is another advantage for us. We are 11th nationally in third down offense. We convert 47% of our third down opportunities on offense. So that is definitely a mismatch in our favor there. Uh, and here's another area where I think we can really take some advantage of this Texas or take advantage of this Texas defense. They are dead last. I'm not even kidding, guys. Dead last in pass plays allowed of 40 plus yards on the year. They've given up 15 pass plays of 40 plus yards on the year. They're 103rd nationally, if you take it down to 30 plus yards, 103rd nationally in pass plays of 30 plus yards allowed with 24 of those. So they give up a lot of big plays, particularly big plays in the air. Now again, they do play in the Big 12 where teams push the ball down the field, they spread you out. So naturally they're going to give up a lot more of those than maybe a team in the SEC uh, on any given year. But still, that is is that not alarming for the Texas defense? It is. I mean, that's cr- those are ridiculous numbers. I don't care if you play in the Big 12. Those are terrible numbers against the pass. Uh, now, they on the flip side, they've only allowed three rushes this year of 30-plus yards. They give a lot of big plays in the passing game, but again, they do a good job defending the run. They don't give up a ton of explosive plays in the run uh, in the run game. Get, again, only give up three rushes of 30-plus yards. They are 32nd nationally in red zone touchdown percentage allowed, giving up 54% or allowing opponents to convert Red zone opportunities and the touchdowns 54% of the time. We do, we've do we done a really good job this year, except for, I guess, uh, 
a two or three game stretch there against starting with uh, the Florida game where we were having a tough time converting inside the five yard line. But overall through the year, we're converting uh, red zone opportunities into touchdowns 65% of the time. So defensively, they're, they are pretty good against the run, but they are flat out terrible against the pass. Now, if you look at some uh, differential numbers, which I think are pretty telling on how good a team actually is, uh, Texas in their total yards differential, they're plus 192 yards on the year, which is average. I mean, that's that you're about dead average with those numbers. On the flip side, we are plus 2,179 total yards on the year. If you guys haven't heard me go over this before, the way you get those numbers, you take the total number of yards your offense has gained, and you subtract from that. You subtract the total number of yards your defense has given up from that number, and that gives you your total yards differential. So we're basically plus 2,000 yards on them. Uh, so you kind of get the idea of why I say clearly we are the better team on paper. Uh, they are also they are plus 36 in total points differential this year. We are plus 268, so over 200 yard, 200 point differential uh, advantage for us there. They uh, are their point their points per drive differential is 0.6. Our points per drive differential is 2.10. Their yards per play differential is negative 0.07 whereas ours is positive 2.52. Their points per play differential is 0.06, where ours is 0.34, so another sizable advantage for us there. And the special teams, we have an advantage there as well. Their average starting field position is plus 1.3. Our average starting field position is plus 2.34. So I know those are a lot of numbers there, all right? You might have to go back and rewind some of those. But I wanted to give you those numbers to kind of support our opinion that on paper, We are clearly, 100%, no question, the better football team coming into this game. That's why we're essentially a a two-touchdown favorite coming into the game. But again, that doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to win the game because bowl games are a totally different entity. And we're going to talk about the intangible factors here momentarily. But Kurt, now after going through all of those numbers there that really kind of point out that we are clearly the better football team, let's take a look at the the specifics of this Texas offense. Let's start there. Everyone knows what we want to do philosophically on on offense. They know what we want to do. We want to pound the football. We want to get you to commit bodies to the box and hit some play action shots over the top and get those chunk plays in the passing game. But how is this Texas offense built? This is a Big 12 offense. Is it a typical air raid type Big 12 offense? Or is it a little bit of a different animal than what you normally see over there in the Big 12? It's, it's like a mixture. You know, they spread it out and everything, but they still – kind of have a power attack from there they like to do a lot of quarterback powers and things like that yeah really the last thing you said there for me is hitting the nail on the head this offense is built almost entirely around sam ellinger at quarterback is it not it is Uh, everything's off of him uh i I think it's really what he sees out there actually had a pretty good year throwing the football much better than last year he's improved in that regard last year he he was a very below average decision maker he certainly improved in that regard this year uh he's passed for over three thousand yards on the year uh, he's completing uh, 64% of his passes for 7.8 yards per attempt, 25 touchdowns, only five picks. So if you look at his numbers last year, this guy has certainly improved as a passer from where he was as a true freshman last year. But where I think he is most dangerous, and he's a good passer. He's not a, a not an elite passer, but he's a good and more than a competent passer. But where I think they really excel in offense is when they use him in the run game, right? 
Yeah, because they like to do the power, the power runs, and that's where he's very. Uh, it, I mean, it's it's more or less like like Auburn or someone. You know, they they get their couple yards and they extend drives. Absolutely, I think one of the reasons they're so good at converting third downs on offense is because of Sam Ellinger. I really believe that. I mean, he's one of those guys that when you have these big physical quarterbacks, where you can run quarterback power. When you get in third and short, you see this. You see this week in and week out with various teams across the country. When you have a big, mobile, powerful running quarterback like that, you are able to just pound out two or three yards. And when you get in those third short situations, when you stay ahead of the chains, it's very, very difficult to stop a quarterback in that type of offense when he has that type of skill set. Here's how I would describe Sam Ellinger. Honestly, and I know this seems crazy because, you know, Tim Tebow is Tim Tebow and he's gone down in college ball history. Sam Ellinger, though, reminds me a lot of Tim Tebow. Do you see that comparison? I could because, you know, he's, a, he's not a, a burner when it comes to running like some of these dual threads, yep. but he's a powerful runner that gets behind his pass and things like that. Absolutely. And he's a competent passer. Absolutely. I actually think Ellinger is a better passer than Tebow ever could have dreamed of being. I, I, well, I think it also helps, though. I mean, one thing we'll get into it, but what makes Ellinger such a, you know, helps him in his passing tactics when you have big receivers. Absolutely. There's no doubt. You can throw, throw the ball up and let them just go out and get those 50-50 balls. That certainly helps. But I see a lot of Tim Tebow and Elgar. I mean, they're essentially the same size. At, I mean, believe it or not, I mean, Tebow is about 235, 240 in college. That's essentially what Sam Elgar is. You're right. They get behind their pads. They're physical runners. Not necessarily burners, but good good enough solid speed where they can break some big plays, but they keep the chains moving. And that's really, that's what made Tim Tebow so difficult to defend was not that he was busting off 50-yard plays. It was that he kept the chains moving and was so difficult to stop when you got in short yard situations. And that is exactly what Sam Ellinger does. And their running game is built around him. Now, he's not their leading rusher. He's got 418 yards rushing on the year, but you also take out sack yards on that as well. So he's actually run for more than that. Uh, he's only averaging three yards per carry, but again, sack yards is also factored into his run totals as well. But outside of him, I mean, they don't really have a major playmaker in the running back position, do they? No, not at all. I mean, you got Trey Watson, who's their leading rusher with 695 yards on the year, averaging 4.2 yards per carry. And then Keontae Ingram is their uh, second leading rusher at 683 yards on the year, averaging uh, just a little bit over five yards a carry. So those are their two top backs. Trey Watson's kind of been the guy lately. But really, Sam Ellinger is the feature piece of this offense, whether it's throwing the football or running the football. And when guys like Watson and Ingram, get, when, when they find some room, a lot of that is due to the fact that Ellinger is someone that the defense has to account for in the run game with his ability to run the football. And when they have to account for him, that gives them the plus one scenario, the numbers advantage in the box, and Watson Ingram have more room than they otherwise would have. But if you, like, if you just look at Trey Watson or Keontae Ingram, like, I'm not going to say like they're bad. Like they're just, but they're okay. Like, you know, they're, they're nothing special. They're not elite running backs, but the fact that you have some Ellinger in the backfield makes them a little bit more effective than what they would otherwise be. Uh, if they didn't have a mobile type quarterback like Sam Ellinger. So he is the guy. He is what makes this offense go. He's the straw that stirs the drink. There's no doubt about it. And this is what Tom Herman wanted. You know, last year, one of the reasons Texas was was not as good last year is that Sam Ellinger was basically splitting time with Shane Bouchelle, who is slightly mobile, but not in the way that Ellinger is. And if you look at Tom, Hor- Tom Herman historically as an offense coordinator and a play caller, going back to the days at Ohio State, look at what he was able to do at Houston. Those offenses function at their maximum ability when he has a quarterback that's able to run the football. His offense is it's almost like Gus Malzahn in a way, right? Yeah. They have to have that mobile quarterback to really function 
in the way that that he needs it to function. And they didn't really have that last year. Ellinger played somebody. He was he was really struggling as a pass last year, especially as a decision maker in the passing game. So it was tough for them to play him consistently. They kind of went back and forth with him and Bouchelle. But in the offseason, Ellinger, he won the job, improved as a passer. Now he's been the guy all season long. Um, and so their offense has certainly improved. And lo and behold, their record has improved. They play in the Big 12 title game and obviously have a, have a date with us in the Sugar Bowl. Now, one thing about Ellinger here, Kurt, he has been nursing a shoulder injury late in the year. Do you think that will impact how Tom Herman calls this football game? It could, but I don't think it will just because it's the end of the season. Yeah, I, I think that, yeah, absolutely. I think, like, and Ellinger's a tough dude. I mean, I, I really like watching the guy play. He is a tough dude. He's a Texas guy through and through. Grew up a Texas fan. So, you know, if, if he was, if this was a guy that played for Georgia and grew up a Georgia fan, like, like some of our guys have, we would be all about this guy, wouldn't we? Like we, we'd be all about him. But he, so he's that guy for Texas. And I like watching him play. He plays with passion. He plays hard. He runs. He's physical. I mean, the way he runs the football, get behind those pads. He's just, he's just a tough player. I like watching. Kind of a throwback type guy. Uh, I like watching him play. Uh, so, so saying that, I'm, I'm getting at the fact that he's a tough guy. And if it's a one-game situation, unless he basically can't move the shoulder, I don't imagine him taking himself out of this game. Do you? Agree. And, and even if something did happen, they still have a competent backup in Shane Bouchelle. So I don't think that Herman's really going to be gun-shy and calling running running plays for Ellinger. Uh, because if, if God forbid something did happen to him, they still have a guy that's not quite as good as Ellinger and doesn't really fit their offense as well. But he can still come in and, and win football games for them and, and keep them competitive on offense. So I don't think it would be a major difference. They still ran the ball even though he had the shoulder injury. They ran the ball with him late in the season. So I don't think you'll, you should expect to see anything different in this particular game. Um, now, the next question here for me, Curtis, if that's kind of what their offense is built to do, are we equipped to handle this type of offense defensively? Are we built to handle them fairly well? I think so just because – I don't know. I think one thing, if they try to run – I mean, see, they don't have the dangerous running attack, which is what can help us. Well, they don't yeah, have they the elite have back to complement Ellinger. Exactly, and I think that's one thing, yeah, because we struggle when they run right at us with, you know, competent backs, but they're not like that. Um, you know, some of the teams we've struggled with have been more of the power attacks that run right at our smaller guys, especially at linebacker and things like that, Yeah. but that's not exactly what we're facing. Um, you know, they'll try to spread the field, which, and if they try to use, I mean, if, if they go speed, they play right into our hands. Right. Um, but... I, I think I don't think we'll struggle with them. I mean, they'll get some yards, especially with Baker out and passing game and things like that. But uh, but across the board, I don't see. I mean, they struggle to, to you know really get points against a terrible Oklahoma defense. Yeah, I guess the reason I bring that question up is that like we look, we've been good against the run. We've been solid. Okay, we haven't been great. We've been okay. But I would still say like the middle of our defense. If there's a weakness on the defense, it's the middle of our defense, right? Hundred percent. So when you're facing a team like Texas, who's not explosive running the football necessarily, but they're very effective and efficient running the football, does that not give you a little bit of concern, like what they do best offensively versus what we do worse defensively? That matchup? I mean, it does, but I think, you know, especially when we were able to shut down someone like Kentucky, whose run game, I mean, yeah, they're one-dimensional, but I think that the way with Texas is you can just take away their run game, you you. I mean, you kind of. You, I think they're what, easier to make one-dimensional because they don't have such a, a great running attack that they only have a few weapons in that. Right. Well, their pass game is essentially an extension. It's not an extension of the run game, but it, what they do in the pass game, really, it all 
emanates from what they're able to do on the ground, right? Like they like to get one-on-one opportunities out wide with their big receivers, Colin Johnson and little Jordan Humphrey, and basically get 50-50 opportunities, right? Yeah. So if we're able to stop their ground game, at least slow it down, then maybe we can we can play two two high looks a little bit more often, double team some of those guys, bracket coverage them, whatever it takes, basically to avoid those one-on-one opportunities where they have basically 50-50 balls. And if in those situations, while their receivers are good, those guys are, are very good receivers, and they and they can go out and, and they go up and win those 50-50 balls. But if we're able to have numbers in the back end, that certainly helps our case, right? Yeah. But but the question still I come back to is. Are we going to be able to do that? Are we going to be able to stop the run game with our with our front six, front seven, depending on what packages we come out in, probably a front six. Are we going to be able to stop that run game effectively enough to where we are able to keep a too high safety look? Do you think that we're going to be able to do that? Uh, yeah, because I don't think – I mean, we can always change it, but I would rather – I think I would rather make them have to try to keep a drive going with a short yard and run situations instead of giving up a big play to the big receivers. Yeah, I and that's something we've talked about throughout the year with that philosophy, and that certainly seems to be the tack that we've taken defensively all throughout the year, whether going about all the way back to the Missouri game uh, where we were giving up some yards in the ground, sure, but we did that because we want to keep two, two safeties deep so that we could defend against explosive pass plays and kind of take away what Missouri and various other teams throughout the year like to do. Um, so, yeah, look, I still say that up the middle is our weakest point on defense. I, I still maintain that. I think we've improved throughout the year. I think the fact that Jordan Davis has become a factor and looks like he's going to be healthy to play. He was nursing a back injury. From what I understand, it was actually a weightlifting injury. Uh, but and he was out for the first couple of, the first week or so of, of bowl practice, but it looks like he's going to be back and ready to play in this game. That gives me some hope, right? Like, I think he's going to be a big factor in this yeah, game. Without him, it would have hurt. Yeah, it, honestly, like, without – I was kind of – I mean, mini freaking out. Like, if Jordan Davis doesn't play in this game, we're going to be in big trouble. Outside of him, like, we haven't been great up the middle. And he's become a major part of our uh, of our defense, especially the, the guts of that defense. And uh, if he's playing, I feel solid about it. It's still not great because I think our linebacker play still needs to improve pretty dramatically. But if he's in there, I feel okay about it. Uh, but I think it's going to be important for us to to be able to slow them down with our front six. And I say front six guys, not front seven, because this is modern football now. And front sevens, you don't really play your base defense much at all, do you? Especially with a team that, like Texas who wants to spread you out and then try to – and that, that's what Texas does. They want to spread you out and get numbers advantage and then use the power run the game against you, run it right at you. Kind of like what Auburn does, honestly. Like they spread you out, put some window dressing up. They don't do as much window dressing as Auburn does. They still want to spread you out, uh, get, get some guys in space, and then they want to be able to get the numbers advantage of the box and just pound it with power football right down your throat. So I think if I'm – Kirby Smart, not Mel Tucker anymore because he's not with us any longer, obviously. But if I'm Kirby Smart and the guy's calling this game, I come out and try to slow down their run game with our front six. Try to do that. And then play the too, too high safety look over the top so that we can kind of defend against those shots that they want. They will inevitably take down the field of Colin Johnson and little Jordan Humphrey. That's how I would do it. Is that kind of where your head is? Yeah. All right, so now saying that, there's a big loss in secondary. You mentioned it briefly there a second ago. With DeAndre Baker not playing in this game, choosing the last second here to kind of back out of after initially saying that he was going to play. He said that actually on national television at the Costa Paul Awards here in Atlanta. Uh, but after some more thought, he decided to pull out of this game. Uh, first off, do you blame a guy like DeAndre Baker for not playing in this game? No, not at all, because nowadays there's so much 
there's so little luster with these games that they used to, you know, these just being a New Year's Six Bowl used to be a big deal. But, you know, ever since the college football playoffs has really taken away a lot of it. So yeah. in, in that situation, you're kind of wondering, I mean, you're, you saw it years ago with Jalen Smith. Um, he's finally healthy now with the Cowboys, but he wasted on what almost three years of his career. Yeah. And so it's becoming dangerous, especially for such a meaningless game. Here's my take on it is, number one, I understand it. I get it. Totally understand it, but I don't like it. Is that fair? Yeah, I, I agree 100%. It's not my favorite thing, but I can't fault the guy. Yeah, I mean, I totally understand where he's coming from. And when you're talking about a million dollars at stake here, it, it it makes sense. I totally get that. I do. I don't begrudge in that. But I just don't like this trend where you go to these bowl games and the best players, if you're not in a playoff game, they're just not playing. And to me, yes, that is a byproduct of the playoff and what it's done. But to me, it's just further reason why we need to expand the playoff. And I know not, not everyone's with me on that, but the bowl games, like, and we're going to talk about this a little bit later, but in, in a lot of ways, they've they've kind of become meaningless, right? They really have. And, and then maybe they always were, but now it's just kind of like, oh, it's an afterthought. Like, you literally have the best players on, on teams just essentially choosing not to play. They're just not playing. And it's not just us. It's, it's teams around the country. When you see these bowl games, and it's hard to even like handicap them because you're like, okay, well, who's playing and who's not? It's just, it's ridiculous. It's gotten to that point where it's just like, why do we even have bowl games? Honestly, like seriously, why do we have these bowl games um, if if these big time players aren't gonna play in the games? It's I know we all want to have one more game, but like, let's just let's just expand the playoff and actually make. I I, I know there's, there's you still have bowl games and those bowl games will still be meaningless. But let's have fewer meaningless bowl games. Does that make sense? So it's just it, it drives me crazy, but I get where he's coming from. I can't say if I was in the same position that I would make the same decision. I can't sit here and say that. So it sucks, but it is what it is. It's kind of just the way college football has uh, has uh, kind of I guess it's how what's what it's become in the college football playoff era. But regardless of what we think about it, what does this mean for our team in this particular Sugar Bowl game, Kurt? Not having uh, I, think Baker. I think it's a chance for our young guys to grow more and more. I mean, Stokes has got to be our shutdown corner, and I think Campbell's got to see if he's grown up since he's been benched, more or less. Um, and I, I think the one thing that hurts a little bit is, realistically, I think Campbell was on his move to safety. Um, wouldn't shock me if we see him as star next year. Um, really? Yeah. What makes you say I, that? Well, they— if you've been reading what some people have said, they've been saying he's been practicing a lot more at safety yes. the last couple weeks of the season, and I think that would actually be a good move for him, uh, where everything's in more in front of him per se, instead of you know tracking the ball with his back turned. Right. Because uh, I think that's where he has struggled the most is you know making a play on the ball with his back turned. So I think it'll be interesting just to see how you know. I I, I just want to see how he responds. I think Stokes has played well since he's come in, so I, I w- would like to see how Stokes matches up against their number one, and just to see how. Campbell truly responds and see if he's gripped, you know, I mean, more or less, and, and unless someone else steps in, these are possibly your two guys going forward. Yeah, we'll see if we end up landing Tyreek Stevenson. If he if we land him, he'll be in the in the equation as well. But uh, you're right. I mean, we don't know if we're going to get Stevenson, and if we don't, I mean, Campbell and Stokes are our two guys next year, at least coming into the season, right? Yeah. I mean, you can't forget about Amir Speed, and Chris Smith has got a guy that's going to factor in, and the coaches love Tyreek McGee, so all those guys will be They'll be in the competition, but certainly if you look at how the playing time has been divided up this year, it's going to be Campbell and Stokes coming into the season. But like lose, losing Baker, not having him in this game, does that give you some concern matching up with these two big physical wide receivers that Texas has? Oh, it has to. I mean, because it absolutely has that, to. 
Stokes had done well as the number two guy, but you know him thrust into the number one spotlight is going to be different. And Stokes says, look, I, one thing I'll say about Stokes is his ball skills. Like He has shown borderline elite ball skills since he's been inserted in the starting lineup. He really has. Like, he has. He absolutely has. Uh, and that's something that's going to be big against this Texas offense. We're talking about their two big receivers that we mentioned a little bit earlier, Colin Johnson, who's 6'6", uh, thin, but 6'6". you got little Jordan Humphrey, who's 6'4", and uh, like 220, just a big dude. Uh, these guys, like I said, they, they really they will throw the ball up, especially Colin Johnson, in 50-50 situations, and they win those those opportunities more often than not. Do you think that Eric Stokes has the ability to win his share of those balls? I really don't. I mean, I think even Baker may have had a little bit of trouble with a six six guy because I mean he's only what maybe six foot at best, kind of like Stokes is. So, I True, mean, but he has. But he, you're right. He's not. He's not as big and not as physical, but his well, ball skills that, are elite. Well, that's what I said. I think, you know, it's really going to come down to Stokes' ball skills. And I think that, you know, he's probably been getting a lot of practice knowing what he's going to face. And people also have to remember, he's probably gotten practice against this when you have people like Matt Landers and, uh, um, uh, wow, uh, Tommy Bush. The others, yeah, Tyler, or Tommy Bush, Bush. Yeah. Yeah, uh, go, going up against them in practice. So we have gotten practice against big guys. And we're going to have to get in their face line of scrimmage. I know that's, that's tough because if you get in their face line of scrimmage and you, you run some press and run stuff, they can beat you in man coverage. But what, say it again. Exactly. But uh, I think you, I agree with you. You have to. And it is, like you said, dangerous for your man coverage. But the same situation, the fact of the matter is they're not burners. Right. And this is, this is for me defensively, this is what it comes down to. I think when you get in their face, play some press man, and again, this comes back to being able to defend the run well enough with our front six without having to bring safeties down the box. If we're able to do that, we can afford to get in their face on the perimeter there, play some press man like Kirby likes to do, and then have safety help over the top against these big, tall, physical receivers. If we are able to do that, I think we can have a very good chance of not, I'm not going to say completely shut them out, but slow them down tremendously. Is that kind of what is? Is that how you would attack this? Yeah. I mean, to me, that's that's the game plan. Now, whether or not we're able to do that, that's a totally different story. But I do think it's going to come down to whether or not we can slow down the Texas run game with our front six without having to dedicate additional bodies to the box. Because if we're able to do that, we can get in their face, we can disrupt their timing, play some press man, force them to get off that. Now, these are big physical receivers, but we're going to have to challenge them. And if we're able to do that, you and slow down the run. You have you have safeties over the top to kind of bracket and help. Against those 50-50 balls, I think that's the key to this game. We're gonna have to be able to slow down the run well enough and be able to take away those those shots down the down the field, those 50-50 shots. Because those receivers are good, and they get man coverage. I mean, they're gonna win. I would say even if you have good corners, they're gonna win the majority of those balls because that's what they're built to do, right? Yeah. Just big, tall, physical guys. And I'll also say one more thing that concerns me about this game is we are going to have to tackle in space particularly against little Jordan Humphrey. I don't know if you guys had a chance to watch them play much this year, but this dude, if you give him the ball in space, give him a, even just a little short, quick little pass, he is a big physical runner, 6'4", 225, and he will run you over the secondary if you're a DB and you do not tackle appropriately, if you do not bring the wood, he will run you over and embarrass you and go for big yards. And that's something, Kurt, you particularly have pointed out throughout this year, especially our safeties, there have been times where you've had concerns about our ability to tackle the safety position. Do you see that being a potential problem in this game? Um, it could be. I think one thing maybe you hope is with this uh, – because we were actually really good at practicing or, you know, tackling the base at the start of the season. So hopefully, yeah. you know, 
hopefully we went back to some of the basics the first couple weeks or so. And J.R. Reed, I mean, since he's been the starting lineup these past years, has been really good at that. He's been a good, sure tackler. And, and LeCount is a guy that's going to bring the wood. He just sometimes forgets to wrap up and, and bring the fundamentals along with the wood, right? Yeah. Uh, but in this game, like, you're, like yeah, I know you want to get the big hit, but you got to get the guy on the ground. You got to get the guy on the ground because he is a dude that will run you over if you go high on him. You've got to go low. You got to take out his legs and then gang tackle him because if you go high, he will run you over. He has a nasty stiff arm. He's just a big physical body. And I've seen it time and time again throughout the year with little Jordan Humphrey. They get, get the ball to him in space, his quick little short passes, and he'll just run people over. So And, and on the flip side, Colin Johnson's taller, but he's not as physical of a runner uh, as Lord Jordan Humphreys. Humphreys is the guy that will make plays happen in space. There's no doubt about it. And then you got another guy who's more of a speed guy, Devin Duvernay, who's a guy that was committed to Baylor a couple years ago. And then when the whole Art Bryles thing went down, he ends up at Texas, backs off of his commitment. And uh, he's more of a speed type guy. But look, they, they can hit some big plays in the passing game. I mean, Humphrey and Johnson both average over uh, right about 14 yards, over 14 yards per catch. And then Duvernay averages 13 and a half yards per catch. So, that they definitely go for the big plays down the field in this passing game. But even though we don't have – like, I would feel a lot better if DeAndre Baker was in this game, obviously. I I know he, these are different types of receivers than what he typically matches up with. But still, I feel like he'd have a good opportunity to take away half of the field like he has throughout the last year and a half. And without him there – it's, it's going to be a struggle, and we're going to have to be able to have some safety help over the top. It's critical for us to be able to play with two high looks and potentially even run some cover three type stuff, run some three match, that type of stuff where if they go deep, we convert to man coverage on the outside, but you also have the safeties over there, uh, over the top. We used to have one guy uh, uh, roaming in the middle of the field there. We're going to have to mix it up and keep them off balance there, but um, it certainly is something that bears watching in this game. Uh, all right, let's flip over to the other side of the ball. Now, everyone knows what we want to do offensively. We mentioned that earlier. Everyone knows what we do and how this offense is built. We have a big physical offensive line. We're going to run the football right at you. And then off play action, hit some vertical shots down the field, do some back shoulder type stuff, get some basic get one-on-one opportunities with our playmakers out in space uh, in the passing game. So everyone knows that, including Texas and including Todd Orlando, their defensive coordinator. Uh, but, Kurt, even if they know what we want to do, because everyone does. Are they equipped to stop us? Knowing what we're going to do is one thing, but stopping us is a totally different animal. So are they equipped to stop us? Realistically, no. Again, if you go back and this is like November, like, like we did earlier in the show, I would say no way. No way. Uh, why do you say that? I just don't – they just don't have the pieces. I mean, across the board, you have to have – Especially, especially when it comes to stopping our run, you have to have a strong defensive line. You have to have strong linebackers, and that's not the case. Yeah, they're just not big up front. Well, and I think realistically, I think we're going to use their aggressiveness against them. Oh yeah, look, I mean, they're going to be like every team we play. They're going to come out and they're going to sell against the run early, right? Yeah. I can't imagine them trying to attack us in any other way because that's essentially what everyone does. So, and it makes sense. That's what you have to do. But doing that and stopping us are two different things, especially with how we kind of built our offensive lineup over the past couple of years. And they're just small up front. They just are. Brecken Hager is one of their better players up front on the defensive line. He plays kind of like the five-tech defensive end for them. But Brecken Hager is 245 pounds, man. He's 245 pounds. 
Charles Aminu, the other five, uh, uh, the other defensive end, is two seventy-five. Chris Nelson, their nose guard, starting nose guard, is about six foot three hundred pounds. All right, which I mean, he's bigger. It reminds you of what we, what we faced in Tech. Exactly, exactly. Very similar size up front. I mean, very similar size. So I think, honestly, up front, they're not built to stop us. What they're going to have to do is move all over the place, you know? Yeah. Like, they're going to have to slant. They're going to have to stunt. They're going to have to do all sorts of different things to try to use their quickness to beat our offensive line. That, that's their only hope to slow slow us down is to hope that their guys are just quicker than our offensive line and they're able to slant, stunt, do all sorts of different things, twist, and and create some negative plays in the backfield. That's what they're going to have to hang their hat on because if they just try to go man up, we will destroy them. Like, we will eat them alive on the ground. That's just, that will happen. I'm telling you right now, that will happen. But they are quick. They are athletic. Do you think that gives them any hope against our offensive line, the fact they can use maybe their quickness against us? Uh, I mean, maybe, but they may get a few negative plays, but I think we'll also have our own pot. Yeah, I mean, here, here, they're going to they're create some negative plays with how, how I feel like they're going to have to attack us with the stunning, the twist, and the slanting, all of that stuff, and just be very aggressive. But it's not like our offensive line are just big, slow, fat guys, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah, they're big, but they're athletic too. I mean, Andrew Thomas is athletic as they come. Solomon Kinley's a big dude. He's actually got some good footwork, and you got – of course, Gilliard in the middle there, uh, and then if we've got, I mean, what depends on who ends up playing at, at right guard, whether it's Cleveland back, Cade Mays, whoever it is, we've got some athleticism there. We've got some athleticism. So, yeah, they can use their quickness, and I'm sure they'll create some negative plays at times, but it's not like we're just going to be overmatched there, and they're going to be able just to kill us by slicing in the backfield play after play after play. I just don't see that happening. Uh, I would take our size advantage and strength advantage over their quickness. Um, any day of the week in this matchup. Now, inside linebacker, they got Gary Johnson and Anthony Wheeler, who are good linebackers. Johnson's the more athletic, more silent sideline type guy. Wheeler's a little bit bigger, not quite as athletic, but he I, I would call him more of like a true downhill inside linebacker, more in the vein of like a Monty Rice type guy. But they're good players. I just don't know if either one of those guys is a truly elite linebacker. Good, solid player, very good. But not someone. Not neither one is a guy that you have to kind of like fear and totally game plan to slow down. As a guy who's going to kind of single handedly slow down your running attack. Uh, so saying all of that, and going back and looking at some of the numbers that that we went over for this Texas defense earlier in the show, if you're Jim Cheney, what would be your game plan to attack this Texas defense? I mean, I think you have to stick with the run, too, because, I mean, we've seen when we try to get away from the run sometimes, we get ourselves in trouble. So I think you have to stick to the run, but I also think we need to use a lot of play-action passes and try to catch their aggressiveness and try to catch the linebackers and people stepping up. Yeah, I, I think there's no doubt about that. They're going to be aggressive in their efforts to try to slow down the run game, and I think we need to take advantage of that. I would be okay with doing a lot of what we did against Alabama, throwing the ball early, right? Yeah. Almost like opening up the run game by throwing it early and taking advantage of how aggressive they're trying to slow down the run. Because as I mentioned earlier in the show, guys, they give up a crazy number of big plays in the passing game. I mean, a crazy number of big plays. They are, let me pull these numbers back up here, again, dead last in pass plays of 40-plus yards allowed. They're giving up 15 plays in the passing game of 40-plus yards. That is crazy. We are going to have opportunities to hit those vertical shots in the passing game. And I would come out early taking those shots. Try to get that lead. Try to force them out of these 
kind of heavy run defense looks uh, and kind of take away some of their aggressiveness and trying to defend our rushing attack. Now, we're never going to get away, and we never should get away from what we do. We're, we are built to run the football. And I've said many times in the show, if we can keep Fromm's uh, passing numbers in the 20 to like 25 range, that's ideal, right? It's just we have to be we are typically really efficient in those in, in those 20 25 attempts. It's when we get to like 30 35 attempts that's when we're taken out of our game and that's when we typically lose games. From lost four games as a starter and almost every one of those games has gone for over 30 attempts. And that's just not a recipe for us to be successful with how our offense is built. So we're gonna have to run the football, but we also need to take shots down the field because we are going to have opportunities to hit them. They just do not do a good job in the back end of that defense. And I've given up a ton of big plays. So we're going to have opportunities, and I think we're going to have to call those plays to take advantage of those opportunities that we're going to have. But, of course, the, at the end of the day, we're going to have to be who we are, run the football. But I would come out throwing the football early uh, to try, as you said, take advantage of their aggressiveness and trying to slow down our rushing attack. And it's not like their defense has been great yet to pass her either. So, yeah, they'll be aggressive. And I know that you, know, you think, okay, well, that could create some negative plays, maybe some sacks, things like that. But again, they're 91st nationally in sack rate. It's not something they've been doing a great job of all this year. So that's kind of how I would open up trying to attack them, kind of loosen the box up a little bit there, and then use the running game to kind of just pound them into submission. Uh, all right, let's move on here. Kurt, one thing I do want to talk about, we were talking about it a little bit earlier in the show, but I want to discuss it in a little more detail here. We're talking about bowl games. It's just so hard to predict. Yes, I clearly think that we are the better football team, no doubt about it. But as I said earlier, with bowl games – that's not exactly uh, a decisive factor in these games. There's so much more that plays into them from an intangible standpoint. So is there one team here who might have an intangible or motivational edge over the other team, or is it kind of just even on that front? I do have to say, I think that it kind of it reminds me of the last time we were in the Sugar Bowl. Uh, you know, we had, we didn't even really get in the discussion about the playoffs this year. At least we were in the discussion while we got left out. And so I think our team, you have one last chance for especially a lot of these upperclassmen, people like that, to go out there and kind of say, hey, we should have been in the top four. And you you hope that that's how they they could either come out and play like pissed off that they weren't in the final four or they could just be like mail it in. But I think the one thing that I think that why we may come out with a little fire in our belly is the fact that uh, the biggest thing to me is that we have so many young guys and they want to end it on the right note to build going forward because we're a very, very young team, as we all know. Right. And Kirby does always put it – he always puts an emphasis on finishing strong for the seniors every year. Uh, you hear that in the, the last game of the season against Tech and you hear that in the bowl games. We want to finish strong for our seniors. I do think that is a motivation for our guys. Uh, but you kind of hit on I think there's one of two ways this is going to turn out. It's either A, we're going to come out flat because we're just just depressed that we didn't get in the game. We're kind of just you know disinterested because we didn't get into the playoffs. We feel like we should have, and we're just going to have kind of a hangover from the SEC title game. That's one way to look at it. And there have been plenty of teams that have experienced that. Look at Auburn last year, right? Alabama. Alabama, yeah, I guess Utah back in the day. I mean, there have been situations where that has been the case, where you feel like you should be in a bigger game. And you feel like this game doesn't matter, doesn't mean anything, so you're just going to come out flat and you don't care, you're indifferent, and you get beat by a lesser team. That has happened plenty of times over the years in these in these bowl games when a team has gotten left out of the playoff or the national title game. It's happened. But there have also been situations, like Ohio State a couple years ago against Notre Dame, where you get left out of the playoff, but like you said, Kurt, you're pissed off, and you want to make a point and show the nation that they got it wrong, Right. 
There, so to me, it's one of two ways it's going to play out. It's going to be either that way where we're pissed off, we come out firing all cylinders, and we blow them out, or we're disinterested and different and just kind of hung over from the SEC title game, and we lose to a team that we have no business losing to on paper. Uh, which way do you lean? It sounds kind of like you're leaning towards us coming out firing all cylinders. I would like to. Like I said, with all our young players, I think that's the one thing we have to take into account. This is a concern for me. Uh, and you also look at the other side. I think Texas is jacked up to play in this game. I mean, they, they are on the way up, right? For them, this is a huge step. Think about where Texas has been the last, I don't know, like decade almost, right? Yeah. Think about where they've been. And I know they, they didn't get into the playoff. They didn't win the Big 12, but they played for the Big 12, had a much better year than they've had in years past, in the recent history at least, and are now playing in the New Year's Six Bowl. It's been a while for Texas, man. It's been a minute for them. This is a big game for them. This is a game for them against a team that a lot of people still think should, including myself, think should be in the playoff. If they can go out and win this game, that leads that kind of leads credence, lends credence to this notion that Texas is back, right? Like they like, they like to say, at, uh, whenever they feel like they have won a game or two, they always want to say, Texas is back. All right? So... This, for them, is a huge game, and I think they are going to be ready to play. They're going to come out fired up and highly motivated to win this game. Whereas on the flip side, this could be a situation where we're kind of just flat. It could be. I hope that's not the case. But if that's how this turns out, they come out firing, and they're really pumped up to be in this game and really kind of want to put themselves back on the map, especially heading into next year, maybe a potential playoff run for them next year with Sam Ellinger coming back, and we come out flat, we could lose to an inferior team. It's absolutely possible. Now, if it, Texas, I think, is going to come up jacked no matter what. But if we come out and meet their motivation, then I still think we win. It's, but it's, it's so hard to predict how a team's going to come out. I want to. I'm, I'm with you. I want to have faith in Kirby Smart, right? Yeah. Like he typically. Now, there's been a game here or there, but typically has our guys ready to go. Uh, I think that's something that, Cody, that Kirby does a really good job of is motivating our guys and pressing the buttons and, and just really dialing it up the right way to get our guys ready to play. Uh, and I think it's part of our culture too. I think it's, it's the cult, culture that he's built, wants to do it right by the seniors, want to play to our standard every single game no matter what. Uh, so I trust our guys. I trust Kirby in that front. And look, I think we've you know, we don't have the same leadership that we had last year, but I think we do have some leaders that stepped up throughout the year, and I don't think those guys, guys like John Ledbetter, uh, guys like Natres Patrick, guys like Jake Fromm, I, or Terry Godwin even, I don't think that they're going to allow us to come out flat. At least I, at least that's my hope. But it's something that you got to think about. It's, I don't think you can completely discount that because you've seen it go one or two ways, and it's just hard to know until they get on the, on the field there in the Mercedes-Benz Superdome. Uh, on New Year's Day. So it's certainly something to watch. There's no doubt there. Now, before we get to our prediction here, Kurt, I do have one more thing I want to run through here real fast. And I, I used this phrase earlier in the year. Often this time of year, especially now in the college football playoff era, you hear the phrase meaningless bowl game a lot, right? You hear it a lot this time of year. Do you really buy that notion that every bowl outside the playoff is truly a meaningless game is a so and that this sugar bowl is a meaningless bowl game for our team uh i mean you can buy it i don't think it's the truth though well i mean like what's your take on that do you think this game matters at all like if we lose this game does it matter at all uh i don't think it matters if you lose but i think you win you can use it as a stepping stone for next year yeah see that's my thing i i keep hearing this phrase meaningless bowl game and i guess like by definition like that's kind of true, right? In a way, like it's like there's no championship on the line, right? 
So if you're judging by championships, then this game, I guess, does have no meaning because there are no playoff ramifications attached to it for at least a 2018 season. But saying that, I don't know that I would go as far as saying this game is completely meaningless. I think it does have meaning in terms of what it could do for our 2019 campaign. Look, these non-playoff bowl games are essentially exhibitions, especially now with major NFL prospects choosing to forego the games entirely and how these matchups are, are put together. You always have like the third best team from the SEC versus the third best team in the Big 12. It's just not how it works out. But the thing is, it's the last time we get to see each of these teams in the 2018 season. And as such, the outcome of these bowl games, it drives a lot of the offseason narrative surrounding each team. I mean, look, if we come out and lay an egg in this game, combined with blowing the SEC title game, and then Justin Fields maybe, probably, likely transferring, all of that's going to combine to create a negative narrative around our program heading into the offseason. A narrative that can take some of the shine off of the perception of our program and potentially stall some of our momentum. And before you say, like, who cares what the media thinks, let me just say this. I, I do think the narrative that the national media pushes, I do think it matters because it helps shape the perception of a program and perception absolutely matters in college fo football given the fact that you are trying to recruit highly, highly impressionable 17 to 18 year olds into your program. They look at perception and perception matters to them. It just does. I mean, just look at Miami. The narrative surrounding their program and Mark Rick has been very negative all year long. The perception is out there right now that their program is falling apart at the seams. And look at what that perception did to their recruiting class this year. Right now, after the early signing period, they are sitting 33rd nationally in the 247 composite. That's abysmal for Miami sitting in South Florida. That's terrible. So yes, in my opinion, perception does matter in college football. That doesn't mean you're going to win a game or lose a game based on like, you know, 90% of the fans think that you're going to lose or you're going to win. That's not what matters. But it matters in terms of building your program and creating momentum that can have an impact on you winning and losing games on the field. And when you're losing a game like this one, the Sugar Bowl, one that will have all eyes on it, given that it has an exclusive primetime window on New Year's Day, that's going to go a long way towards driving the offseason narrative and subsequently shaping the perception, the national perception of our program. So, yeah, because of that, I, I think it is pretty big for our program. A win can help continue our program's momentum and definitely serve as a launching point for a potential playoff run in 2019. All right, Kurt, last thing here. we got to do our predictions, man. What is your take on the final outcome of this year's bowl game? Uh, I'm going to go with Georgia winning by two touchdowns. Two touchdowns. You can give me a score. Uh, I'll go 31-17. to 17. 31-17. All right. I think this game is going to be pretty tight early. Uh, I think Texas is going to be fired up for this game. I think they're going to come out and uh, they're going to they're gonna try to run the football at us. I think they'll have a little bit of success early on. But as long as we can limit their big plays in the running game, I think we'll be okay. And we'll get our feet under us and uh, be able to kind of just 
run, I don't want to say run away with this game, but I think our talent will eventually take over. This is the overall talent on our roster. Texas is not there yet from a talent perspective up and down their roster. We're still getting there, but we're much closer to where we want to be than where Texas is to where they want to be. So I think in the at the end of the day, I think I do think that we're going to come out motivated enough. I don't know if we're going to be as, as pumped up for this game as Texas will be, but I think we'll be motivated enough to where our talent will eventually be able to overtake them. I think we're going to hit some big plays in the passing game, open up the run game a little bit, and then eventually kind of just pound it home uh, towards the end of the game. And I'm with you. I think we end up pulling away late, win by two touchdowns. I'm going to say I'm going to go 38-24. to 24. I'm going to go 38-24 in this one. And uh, hopefully we end this season on a positive note and head into the 2019 offseason with some momentum to, uh, again, launch hopefully a playoff run for the 2019 season. But uh, we'll see how it all plays out, guys. Uh, we'll be down there for the game. Hopefully a lot of you guys will be there as well. We'll be back. Um, I guess we'll be driving back home the day after the game. So hopefully we'll be able to have a recap show when I get home if we have some time to record that. If not, we'll have the next day for you guys. Uh, so be checking that. We'll be looking for that later on next week so thanks for listening guys we really do appreciate it. again if you're not subscribed to our premium content give it a shot on Podbean. It's only two dollars a month um help us keep this thing going all throughout the offseason heading into the 2019 season so thanks again guys for curtis i'm tyler and as always go dogs